let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for this privilege of meeting together. You've, you've made us a family, and we thank you for this. You are our Father. Help us to see and to live more consciously that we're always living our lives in your presence, that you see us, and Lord, that that joy would shape everything that we do. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Oh yeah, there was one other thing. And that was that uh, at the last Sunday of the month, May 26th, we're having a special Sunday morning where we're kind of, kind of ordaining Andy Prime, recognizing that God has called him to be a pastor, a Bible teacher, setting him aside for that, praying for him. So uh, we're really looking forward to that on the 26th. Uh, Johnny Prime, his uncle, will be coming and preaching. And I really hope that I'll make the connections I need to make on the Friday in Papua New Guinea to come back for that. Uh, if not, I will, I'll, I'll watch it on the video. But uh, that's something to look forward to at the end of May. Can we put the PowerPoint up, Alistair? Uh, I don't know whether you saw this, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a fascinating um, report about what had reduced crime at Newcastle University. For the last two years, they have done a study uh, of, of cycling, of bicycle thefts on their campus. And what reduced the theft rate of bicycles was not CCTV, but this poster. They just stuck this poster next to bike stands. Cycle thieves, we are watching you, and a guy with scary eyes. Now, believe it or not, this reduced the crime rate by 67%. So they had some bike stands without this poster. Business as usual. 67% going. Uh, these, amazingly, people thought twice when they saw a picture of someone's eyes on them. We are watching you. Now, just store that in your back of your head. I just think that's a fascinating fact. And we might come back to it later. What motivates our Christian life? Uh, what, what motivates our Christian activities? Um, why do we serve perhaps in uh, a local charity? Why do we serve on the board of charities? Uh, why do we get involved in serving, say, in a, in a local church, in this church? Uh, why do you sign up to help on the nursery or with the coffee or the welcome team or... Uh, why do we engage in service in local churches? Why do we, why do we give our money? You know, when, when the bags went around, did, did you put any money in? Why did you do that? Uh, when, when you filled out a standing order form, why did you do that? What motivates uh, that giving? What motivates our praying? When you pray, why do you pray? Uh, tonight we have church at prayer. Why is it that you'll come to church at prayer and not pray out loud? What's motivating you not to pray? What motivates us when we do pray? You see, it is possible to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. 
We can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Let me illustrate from my sad little life. Uh, I grew up in uh, the Plymouth Brethren uh, denomination. It wasn't in Plymouth, it was in Cardiff, but that's what they call themselves for some reason. I grew up in this Brethren Assembly, and every week we have a communion service called the Breaking of Bread. And all the Brethren people are smiling at me as they remember the Breaking of Bread meetings. And that is basically uh, one hour open time that leads to us breaking bread and having communion just like this. And it's an unscripted hour, and you're encouraged to come and to participate. And um, I remember as a young teenage lad, like a 13, 14-year-old, that it was impressed upon me that people would really appreciate it if I took part in that, in that breaking of bread. And I just remember when, when that kind of dawned on me that it was kind of expected of me, I used to sit there in fear, in the silence. Because I knew that I should pray. That people wanted me to pray. And I, inside of me, I, I wanted to pray too, really. But just, to, the gravity got heavier. Do you know what I mean? It just suddenly, the, the way I sat, the gravity was so, it was so hard to live by. And to break that silence, it just seemed like it was, you just couldn't break that silence. And I, and, 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 and I, and I just remember, I never forget that, that complete moment of utter astonishment to find myself on my feet and starting to pray. How did that happen? How did I get up here? But you've got to, you've got, you've got to pray. Well, when you take part like that, of course, afterwards, People uh, rush up to you and just say, oh, it's so wonderful to hear young people pray. And you think, oh, that's quite good, isn't it? You know, you get a bit of, you know, people love it. You get a bit of a reaction to that. And as time goes on, it, the gravity lessens and it gets a bit easier to get to your feet. But here's one of the challenges I found, is that I began to notice uh, when people prayed, the sort of responses that would happen. And, and you know, it's, even though one person's praying, because we're all praying, and uh, we've learned in Christian circles to make little spiritual noises. We're timid people. I mean, there was brother, uh, there was our, there one brother, Mr. Andrews, that we dubbed Amen Andrews, because he wasn't frightened. Amen, he would say. He would regularly say, Amen. But the rest of us were a little bit shyer. We would just do things like, hmm. You know those little spiritual noises people make when they're praying? Yes. Hmm. Just to indicate. And I noticed, I noticed what sort of things people sort of responded to. You just, you just pick this up. And the temptation was when you stood on your feet that you would become awfully self-conscious about how many hmms you were getting. And, um, you know, if you got up and prayed and, and, and sat down and there'd be no spiritual noises, you could feel quite deflated. Now, what's going on with all of that? It is so easy to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Now, what does Jesus have to teach us about this? Well, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You can find this on page 970 in the church Bibles. Matthew 
I'm going to read the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6. Page 970. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you, what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is God's words. What a brilliant preacher Jesus was in, 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 in this sermon. What's his main point? Well, his main point is at the very beginning of this chapter. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. This is a sermon to Christian disciples, uh, people who've begun to follow Jesus. Um, 
he's talked a lot in this sermon about two big things. One, repentance, and the other, righteousness. The way we start the Christian life is with repentance, by recognizing that we're, we've not lived in the right with God. Uh, we've rejected his laws. We've gone far off from him. We're not right with him. We're not righteous. And, and we acknowledge that, and we repent of our sin. And we are those who hunger and thirst, as it says back in chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We know that we're not righteous. That's why we repent. And those who long for righteousness and turn to trust Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they will be filled with righteousness, Jesus says. God declares us to be right with him. We're made right with him. And so the Christian life really then is this ongoing pattern of repentance and depending on God's grace to live righteously. That actually, as God has declared us, we're right with him, that we know what right and wrong is. We are determined and seek his help to live in a way that is right with him and to do right with other people. And so this is a sermon about repentance and about what righteousness looks like. What does it look like to live the Christian life? You do not become saved. You don't become a Christian by praying, giving, fasting. You can't make yourself right with God. God does that. It's a gift. You just... You come to him today and, and ask his forgiveness. You trust the Lord Jesus and his death upon the cross for you. And God declares you right with him. You could do that right now. You could be made right with God right now. Whatever mess you've made of your life up to now, you can be completely forgiven, made right with him. But having become a follower of Christ, we have a new desire uh, to live righteously. We know that sin is wrong, and so we want to do the right thing. And so we've got to this point in the sermon where Jesus describes uh, our acts of righteousness, the sort of things that flow out of a righteous life. And, and we're going to see in this chapter that he addresses, in a sense, uh, the whole of the Christian life as lived in the presence of God. Those are the eyes that are upon us, the eyes of our Heavenly Father. And in this chapter, he's going to deal with um, kind of the, the spiritual stuff of life, and then the practical stuff of life. And God's intensely interested in both aspects, both our spiritual religious life and just the everyday paying the bills, caring about, you know, are we going to get enough food sort of stuff of life. Our Father cares about both those things. But we're going to think about this kind of religious, spiritual aspect this morning. And, uh, and Jesus is warning us that it is a great temptation that we can do our spiritual religious activities in order to impress other people. This is, this is how devious our hearts are, that we can take things that are, are there to kind of help us grow in our faith, that are about our relationship with God, and we can end up doing those very spiritual, holy things for all the wrong reasons, for all the wrong motivation. That actually we can find that here's another way that we can kind of uh, show ourselves to be really impressive. And Jesus is saying, be very careful. Be vigilant. 
think about this, be aware of this, that there's a great temptation that we can live out the Christian life just to impress other people. That instead of desiring to live the Christian life for the glory of God, we can live the Christian life to kind of get glory for ourselves. Instead of doing it to impress God, we, we actually can end up doing it to, so that we um, get the praise of other people. It's just all too easy. And Jesus warns us in verse 1 that if we live out our spiritual lives, our religious lives as it were, just getting the praise of other people, then heaven's not impressed with that. There's no praise from our Father in heaven from that. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The problem is not that we are seen doing spiritual things like praying or giving. The problem is that we do these spiritual things in order to be seen. That's the problem that Jesus is addressing here. And after that brilliant sort of main point in verse 1, Jesus, the great preacher, gives three points. Three points in practical spelling out of what this looks like. And he examines these things, giving, praying, and fasting. These were sort of the the key uh, Jewish acts of piety. And I don't know whether you noticed this, but I think Jesus expects that they're probably the key three aspects of Christian piety. Do you notice that? He didn't say, um, if you give. Verse 2, what does he say? When you give. Verse 5, he doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. And verse 16, perhaps the most challenging for many of us here, he doesn't say, if you fast. He says, when you fast. So there's an expectation of the Lord Jesus that those who are his disciples, those who are following him, they will be engaged in these activities of of giving, praying, fasting. The real question is not whether you do them. It's just what's the motive behind it? Why are we doing these things? So let's think about them one by one. And we're not going to cover everything in this chapter. It's just too much. Well, we're just going to cover this main theme. So let's think about giving in verses 2 to 4. And Jesus' point is this. Uh, When it comes to our giving, don't be a hypocrite and trumpet it. Look at verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. Uh, There's a lot of uh, examination in the commentaries about whether... They used to blow trumpets before they gave or whether the giving in the temple was shaped like a trumpet and it would make a noise as people put in it. But I just think Jesus is being humorous here. I I can't think of a lot noisier things than a trumpet. I don't think Jesus had heard of bagpipes. Uh, That would probably be even more spectacular. Do not announce your giving with bagpipes. Uh, And... um, I I just think Jesus is saying, don't be the sort of people who give and want to make a big show of it. I'm about to give. Look at me. I'm giving. Have you seen? I gave. Jesus says when it comes to disciples, we shouldn't be like the hypocrites 
who want to give to support the poor, and, uh, which is a great thing to do, but actually are really motivated by just people to say, hey, what a great person you are. He does so much work for charity. Just an amazing guy. Uh, back in the 80s, Harry Enfield had these characters called Smashy and Nicey who uh, did a lot of work for charity but didn't like to talk about it. So they were forever not talking about, they were talking about the fact they didn't like to talk about their work for charity because exactly at this point they wanted to talk about how much they did for charity. There's so many subtle ways that we can actually announce that we are givers. In fact, just think about the way the world tackles giving. We have huge checks. Have you thought about this? Look, we hand over a big check. Oh, and the local press are here. My, how did they come? Hand over the big check, and there's just some helpful little advertising there. That's how the world gives. This is what motivates giving. Of course, they, they, there's, there's real charitable things. They're really concerned about that. But it's funny how we also go for the big check moment. We give to get some glory from it. That's how the world does giving. But Jesus says, no, disciples are not to give in that way. The point is that actually if we give to get glory from it, then we will actually get that. Verse 2, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. If we're giving basically to get good PR, do you know what? You'll, you'll get it. That's why people do it. But that's all you'll get. Heaven's not impressed with that. In fact, if we want to give in full sincerity, then the principle is secrecy. Secrecy safeguards sincerity. So Jesus says, verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When I was in America, uh, I used to listen to National Public Radio, NPR. And unlike the BBC that can tax you to listen, they don't tax you out there. And they have to raise funds every six months to support National Public Radio. And it was fascinating to hear the appeals. They had a whole week of asking for money. Uh, every hour, on the hour, asking for money. And uh, all the different ways that they would get for you to give. And, and one of the ways they would say is, of course, this is a wonderful project. It needs your support. It would be great. But also another reason you should give is that when you give, you're going to feel so good about it. You're going to feel so good about yourself to know that you have given. And so this is another reason that motivates giving in this world. G- give, give to feel good. But Jesus kind of rules that out as well. He says we, we should be giving in such a way that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. We're, we're not to be motivated just by sort of, sort of warm glow and, and a feeling of, look, <laughs> I have given in secret. Not like some of those other people who give ostentatiously. I give in secret. Do you see how subtle is hypocrisy? Jesus says, give in such a way you don't even know what your left hand and your right hand is doing. Uh, I mean, why do they have cloth-colored bags going around? I guess we do that instead of plates so that there's less of an obvious way of showing 
as, as the money clatters in. I remember as a, as a child coming to the breaking of bread once with a pocket full of change because I wanted to hear the noise. People think, in, my, in my childish thinking, thinking people, people were really impressed. And of course, people were thinking, stupid boy. Well, we're not to give like that. You know, the great thing about standing orders is that, you know, you don't even have that moment of putting your hand in the back. You just determine before God what you're going to give, and you arrange it, and it, and it happens. And Jesus says, our giving should be in secret. That will be the greatest safeguard that our giving is really for the praise and the glory of God. Of God. Have you noticed as you drive around the world, <laughs> or Scotland, how beautiful it is? How much beauty there is in this world? And you know, God doesn't put signs all over it saying, I gave this to you. He generously gives us so much without ever drawing attention to himself. This is the nature of God, and he calls his disciples to live in the same way, to be generous in their giving, to glorify him and not to get praise from it themselves. Secondly, praying. Verses 5 to 8. And Jesus teaches, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite and corner it. I love this. This is very humorous as well. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Do you remember that parable Jesus told of the tax collector and the Pharisee going to the synagogue to pray? And the tax collector could barely make it to the back row, could hardly lift his eyes to heaven. Where's the Pharisee? Right at the front. I thank you that I'm not like other men, that I give. I'm not like him. Right? And Jesus is having a strong go at this kind of showy praying that's about drawing attention to yourself. And in a humorous way, uh, he's drawing a story of, of a man who, who's coming to, to the temple or the synagogue to pray at the set times and uh, he, he always seems to manage to get his timing wrong and at the right time he just stops right where he is and, and prays and, and it's amazing how it often happens to be on the street corners have you thought of the genius of a street corner you see if you stand sort of halfway down Rose Lane you're only going to be seen in one direction aren't you the beauty of a corner is you get both directions oh yes maximum visibility and Jesus is saying well don't be a hypocrite that kind of is just praying to be seen by other people I'll tell you the truth they've received their reward in full verse 5 so what are we supposed to do again it's that principle of, of, of secrecy safeguarding sincerity verse 6 but when you pray go into your room close the door so that prying eyes won't see you, shuts out distraction, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's kind of become, I think, a bit trendy to not really talk about quiet times, but... Um, it seems to me a, a, a really important discipline in the Christian life is just setting aside time every day where you're alone with God and that you read his word and pray. 
And Jesus kind of assumes that this secret life of the disciple is, is taking place. That this is kind of the norm for the Christian. Uh, it, it's very easy to get depressed when thinking about this. Because we all know how we fall short on this. But what a blessing. You see, when you are alone, are you alone? You're not alone, are you? You're with your heavenly Father. He's there to meet with you in that space, that private space. What a privilege to commune with the Father every day. Jesus says, well, another warning when we think about praying is uh, don't be a heathen and babble it. Look at uh, verse 7. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And it is interesting when you look at many of the world religions, there's real kudos for um, how much you can keep talking before God. If, if I keep heaping up words, if I, if I pray with intensity and fervency, then I'll force the heavens to hear me and respond. Well, that's a totally pagan view. Some people get upset if you pray in a large room and there's only one person praying. So get into small groups. We've got lots of people praying at once. Well, that can be good, but not if it's to think that actually if we do that, we're going to force heaven to answer us. That's a pagan view of praying. And as we come to kind of the what was termed the Lord's Prayer, just notice with me the sheer economy of words. In a few crisp sentences, Jesus teaches how we should pray. Notice not what you should pray. The irony is that we've taken the very section that says, don't keep repeating words without thought, and we've taken that prayer, and quite often some people sort of, sort of think, if I say this Lord's Prayer several times over, somehow I'm absolved of sin in some way. Say five paternosters and you're fine. Well, that's pagan sort of praying no don't be a heathen Jesus says I mean we haven't got time to dig into this uh, we did a little series um, last year where in church of prayer we went through every little point of it but notice that this pattern of prayer has two halves there's the, the, there's the first part which is all concerned about God God's name God's kingdom God's will and that this prayer which is to be done in private is very communal our father in heaven Jesus is not against public praying but he's urging us to also uh, not be those who only pray publicly but never pray privately the truth is if we're more fervently fervent praying with others than we are when we're on our own we may be falling into that trap of hypocrisy Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So the beginning of that prayer is concerned with God. And then the second half is with us. Daily provision. Give us today our daily bread. Daily uh, pardon. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And daily protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's praying. Lastly, fasting in verses 16 to 18. When you fast, 
Now, what is fasting? Uh, well, fasting is uh, conventionally with not eating when you could eat. Uh, we, we fast medically uh, before going in for operations. Uh, the truth is that many of us probably could do with a bit more fasting than we do. Um, we've got a bit of a problem with obesity uh, in this nation. But actually, fasting as a spiritual act is where we kind of give up our food and in its place, we seek the Lord in prayer. Fasting is where, in a sense, we're expressing heart hunger for God. And in the Old Testament, you'll find that uh, people, to show that they really were repenting of their sin, they fasted. People, when they were uh, seeking uh, the Lord's will, you've got the apostles in Antioch. Uh, they set time, a time to fast and pray. And at that time, the Lord said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. We looked at that last week. That there are times and seasons in the, in the life of the Christian where we may fast and pray to show our hunger for God and to seek his help in some special way. And so Jesus says, not if, but when you fast. Don't be a, a humbug. Now, I use this rather quaint little phrase, don't be a humbug, because I remember Dick Lucas preaching on this 20 years ago, and it was such a bizarre word that it stuck with me. So I'll leave it with you. You know, Jesus' teaching, don't be a hypocrite, don't be a heathen, don't be a humbug. What's a humbug? A humbug uh, is somebody who, in a very public, showy way, presents himself in one way, but they're a complete fraudster. They're a complete imposter. We had the terrible case this week of this, uh, the worst type of humbug, this man uh, who sold um, devices to indicate whether there were bombs or not, but made millions uh, selling rubbish. Complete humbug. Well, Jesus says, when it comes to fasting, don't be a humbug. See, verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. The concern of the, of the Christian is not to, to impress other people. So if you go around going, oh, my tummy's really rumbling. Uh, just waiting for people to say, why? Oh, I'm fasting. Or walk around sucking our cheeks in. Trying to look pious. All that sort of nonsense is... is shouldn't be part of the Christian life. In fact, if we're fasting, no one really should know about it. When you fast, put oil on your head. This was standard practice before they went out. Put a drop of oil on the head, wash their face. Uh, look normal is what Jesus is saying. So if you're engaged in fasting, look normal. Don't look odd. Don't try and stand out. It's, it's, it's the attention of the Father that counts. Only your Father who is unseen, your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward it. So what's the main point Jesus is teaching? Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, your serving, your giving, your praying, your fasting, in order to impress other people. Heaven is not impressed with that. Instead, we are to live for the reward and the praise of our Father in heaven. And I guess the challenge for us today is how are we going to respond to that? 
Are we going to live for the praise of our Father? Well, the answer could be no. We could say, actually, I'm really committed to my PR. I, I want people's praise. And do you know what? You can get a really great reputation for being a really humble, pious, wonderful person. You get lots of praise for that. That's a kudos for that. But that's all you'll get. And, and just think how fleeting praise is. We watched as a family last night the, the TV show The Voice, and it was interesting. There were a couple of people who were contestants on that who had been stars in the past. They, they'd had success. They'd played at the arena, and then they got dropped or they stopped, and they were forgotten people, and they couldn't bear it. So they're giving it another go. To go for the praise of men is so fleeting, so pointless, so empty. But think about what, what it is to live for the praise of your Father. The reward that we have is a deepening relationship with our Heavenly Father. Think about that. I, I've got so many stupid stories to tell against myself on this. I remember a friend of mine, uh, David Court, was telling me that he was asked to do a funeral for a homeless man. And he said it was tragic. It was, at the, it was at the crematorium, and there was no one there except the crematorium man and him and the, the dead body. And I said, well, what's the, point? what's the point of having a service if no one's there? And he said, Paul, God, God is there. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're thanking God for this life. We're worshipping God. It is so easy to forget that we live the whole of our lives in the presence of God. If you're not a Christian, I think that should terrify you. He sees everything. He knows every motive of your heart. But if you're a Christian disciple, if you're someone who's been made right with God, can I just say this? Knowledge that God sees the whole of your life, it should fill us with joy and delight. Those eyes that are upon us are eyes of a loving Father who is so quick to reward the smallest and the most insignificant thing. Oh, look, they gave, he gave a cup of water. Write that down in the book. We'll remember that. We'll bring that up later when he stands before us. We have a God who loves us. We don't go into the, uh, the quiet room with the shut the door on our own. We go to be with him. We go to fellowship with him. He is there. The reward is a deepening relationship with this amazing creator God, our loving heavenly father. And as we pray the sort of prayer that seeks his name and his kingdom and his will to be done, we're going to have the delight of being those who see those prayers answered. As we ask him for daily provision to keep us involved in that plan, daily uh, pardon and daily protection from the evil one, we, we're going to know the joy and the excitement of him keeping us so that we're involved in this great plan of seeing his kingdom come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, I, so as I close this morning, can I ask you to freshly consider the motivation for your Christian life and activity? Can you, can you freshly consider your giving? How do you give? When do you give? 
Are we giving to support the work of the poor? Are we giving to support the work of the gospel? Can I ask you to think about your our praying? The people who miss out when we don't pray are is us. We we miss out if we're not praying. Have we got a plan where we carve out a bit of time every every day where we plan to be with God? And you know what? If if events crash in, let's not beat ourselves up about it. There's always tomorrow. But have we got a plan that we're seeking to be close to Him? Have we freshly considered the place of fasting? I think I've had to think about that this week. The closest I get to a fast is a yogurt and a Diet Coke. I want you, above all, to freshly consider this, that you go into this world before the eyes of your Heavenly Father, who is unseen and yet sees everything. And He delights to reward the least thing that we do for His name and for His glory. Should we close in prayer together? And why don't we just say this Lord's Prayer together? It is a family prayer. If you open your Bibles to page 970, there it is. We'll just pray the, the verses that are there. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.